Support for the Exponent Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who have trusted Manscaped with their exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EXPLORMINATE at manscaped.com. And if my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. Guys, you know you've made a big when Manscaped is actually willing to support your podcast like this. And honestly, I wasn't going to agree to this until I tried the products out and made sure that they were something that I felt comfortable advertising like this. But now that I've tried it, I cannot tell you how amazing these products are. They're extremely high quality. And after using them, I can attest to the fact that they are gentle on all of your body. I was also given their beard trimmer, and I can't tell you how nice my beard looks now. I am never going back to another product. And I'm not just saying that because these guys are supporting Explorinate like this. They are just amazing products. I'm really impressed. And probably the best part is that these all are waterproof, which means you can do all of this in the shower and you don't leave a big mess. I love it. So Forex fans, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Explorinate at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code EXPLORMINATE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape... You can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Explorinate Podcast. Welcome back, Forex fans, to the Explorative Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me tonight is Daz Tactic. Welcome to the show, Daz. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, we'd love to have you on. It's always good to have you from down under, where the time <laughs> is much different. So it's really good to have you. <laughs> yeah, 20 years in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> and we also have Jesse back for another show. Welcome back, Jesse. Uh, great to be here. Uh, great to have you. We're going to be talking about something that he's really obsessed with here in a second. And we're also going to welcome Ben before we do that. Hello, Ben. Welcome back. Cheers, Rob. How you doing, man? Very good, man. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this show because I think we all are at least moderately excited. Like the very, the, I think Ben's moderately excited. I'm extraordinarily excited. And I think the other two are somewhere in between. But we're going to talk about Age of Wonders 4. And I want to begin the show by saying first that I've been asked by the patrons here at Explominate to tell you that we are holding patron-exclusive giveaways on our Discord. 
So if you do choose to patronize the Explominate podcast or the Explominate website, I am holding like patron exclusive giveaways where only patrons are allowed to enter. And we've been giving away some really good games. Right now we're giving away Songs of Conquest. And I have some Gauss of Four Keys up next and even Age of Wonders 4. So it's a little bit more incentive for you to, you know, support what we do here with the Explominate podcast and the Explominate website. But with that out of the way, I want to I want to congratulate Triumph Studios, actually, because regardless of what we're about to say here, this game sold really freaking well, like better than any of their other games and in a very short period. So I know that's partially well, a lot has to do with the, the paradox, like advertising machine, but it's still it's a great game. And there's it's, it's clearly, you know, broadened its horizons, broadened its audience. And as a result, it's selling really well. So that's great, regardless of what we say. That's a really negative way to start off a podcast, man. <laughs> like I said, we're about to dunk on this game, but you know, at least it sold well. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I think that everything we're going to say, if it, there's, it, there is some criticism. I know I have some, and everything that we say about it is coming from a place of love, in my opinion, at least from me where I want to see the game get better because I feel like it has potential to get better. And also I want to see it get better because I really like it. So I know that maybe others will have more criticism here, but for me, my criticism is pretty limited. Let's not get into that just yet, but really, honestly, I'm going to go down the line here and just talk about maybe general feelings before we start this deep dive here. But Daz, how are you feeling about Age of Wonders 4? I'm extremely happy with the launch. I think it's been incredible, actually. It's been the most polished uh, Age of Wonders series launch, uh, like of any of the games, basically. You know, like when the first games were coming out, when nobody did patches through the internet, you know, you sort of exclude those because they had to be 100% right. But God, this thing was so close to being launch ready, which games just aren't released that way anymore. And it's just brilliant. I think the whole, as you say, Triumph Studios have really, really just done amazing things. I was blown away when I heard that Planetfall was the test bed for Age of Wonders 4. And the reason that they actually didn't do Age of Wonders 4 after Age of Wonders 3 is they had all these different ideas that they wanted to flesh out. And to have the foresight to not do an Age of Wonders 4 and try to flesh it out, but to go and build a something that was a bit related to it, but uh, to make a Planetfall version, flesh it all out there, learn all your mistakes and actually really hone it and then then do Age of Wonders 4. For me, that I was uh, it sent chills down my spine when I when I heard them say that they, that's what they had done. And I just thought that's just incredibly, A, brave, because you're sort of just putting all of your money into a different game, and, and B, just so so insight, insightful to actually do it that way. I had the same feeling when I saw it, when I heard that. I, I really think that it's extremely, I mean, like, it's, it's so forward-thinking. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if this is just, like, them, like, kind of, you know, revising history a little bit, or if it really was that they wanted to try some new things. But... It sounds good on paper, and so I'm just going to wing it. I, I mean, I don't have any reason to believe that Triumph Studios would be lying about it either. So I think that the idea of making something that's sort of an offshoot that, right, you said like has the same name, but clearly is a very different product that's trying some new ideas and then taking what works from that and bringing it back to like their main series is fantastic. But I will say that I hope that they take what they've learned from Age of Wonders 4 and eventually make a Planetfall 2 because... I really see that being something that could be really successful too. Here's the problem with that, right? They did learn stuff with Planetfall and then they just rolled it back for some reason. So how I feel about this 
is that I think it's a really good game and I'm enjoying the hell out of it, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it like I enjoyed the hell out of Planetfall. And when I hit about 40 hours of Planetfall, I just stopped playing. And I'm starting to feel that I'm a bit worried that that's going to happen with this one, like once the shine wears off, because, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into it, into the criticism that I've got really deeply now, because I know this is just supposed to be a sort of general sort of feelings. I do think that it's an excellent game. I'm not going to lie. I think it, it's very, very polished. It didn't release well, though. Does <laughs> I found like three bugs in the first 20 minutes of playing, and the CPU is absolutely cooking in my computer, and they've still not fixed that yet. So I don't know. I don't know. Like I think different people are getting different problems with it, but I, it's, the performance on my computer is terrible, and I've got a beast of a machine as well. So I don't know. It's for me. It's like you know the launch was mixed. I thought it was really buggy and like badly optimized. But the game itself is very, very tight. However, it's gone backwards in certain ways. And I'll talk about that when I when we get a chance. Yeah, I've got to do, disagree with you there, Ben. I think that when you when you look at the way that the other games have launched, Planetfall was before Age of Wonders 4, Planetfall was the best of the launches of the of the series. Age of Wonders 3 had a lot of problems when it launched. And even when you look at the way you've got to play those games, Age of Wonders 3 really is not playable without mods. Planetfall is playable without mods, but uh, is enhanced by mods. And again, Age of Wonders 4, you don't need mods to enjoy it right from the start. But also think about that Planetfall actually had two massive, massive updates during its development, probably about a year in, where they took all of the things that was wrong with Planetfall, sort of like when it first actually did launch, because it did launch with, with, with errors. Of course, every game is going to. But what they did was when they launched it, they then brought out a couple of free updates, which were just massive. They were bigger than DLCs, and they fixed so much. We don't think back to the time before those updates. We think back to the time after those updates. Yeah, for me, Age of Wonders 4 is really exceptional with what they've actually done. Yeah, I'll have to agree with some of what you're saying here, Des. But before we go into it too much further, I want to ask Jesse, what do you? how are you feeling, Jesse? Like, What, what are your initial thoughts? Well, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit newer to the series, I think, than the rest of you. I actually didn't really start diving into 3 or Planetfall until the fall. I, I did, you know, when I dive into a games, I tend to go really deep. So I got, you know, about 300 hours, I think, between the two of them. So I'm looking at it from sort of like a, a newer perspective. And I think that it is the best of the series that I've played so far. And, you know, it's very polished. A lot of it's really well done, you know. Uh, it's very easy for me to find things about it that I can that, that are positive to say about it, but I, I don't really feel that it's sort of like pushed the boundaries quite as much as I would have liked. I feel like the you know the game has some of the same problems in the late game that 4Xs typically have, and there's you know just, there's just it, it, there's a little bit of a, I feel like a shallowness underneath the surface that I'm not sure is actually you know, actually, it's actually there, or if it's just sort of like a sense that I'm getting for, from it. I know it's not stopping me from playing. I'm, you know, 140 hours in and, you know, some of my impressions are still vague because, you know, I, I'm, it's, things are still cementing in my mind, but overall, you know, I'm very positive about it, but I'm just like not quite sure about it yet. Right. So I want to address some of the things this you said, but I, I think I want to start by saying, well, actually, I want to start by maybe going around and talking about the things we do like. So for me, I think the first thing that stands out and the thing that Daz mentioned was just very polished. I mean, I know that it didn't have a very good launch because there are thousands of different, maybe even millions of different computer configurations out there. And, you know, there's bound to be some issues. But for me, with a decent computer, I've never had any issues. I've had like two crashed desktop the entire time I played. And one of them happened to be when I was recording, which is funny enough. But the game overall for me was very, was very sound, you know, like it, the 
stability was okay. But beyond that, like the game is beautiful. I think that the new race system or sorry, the new body and form system with traits and stuff like that has allowed for some really interesting and really, you know, creative and, and really just fun new like weird races, right? Like on the subreddit for Asia Wonders 4, in fact, I moderate it for some reason. I have no idea why I got moderated, like asked to moderate it, but I'm constantly watching that and seeing these new creations that people are coming up with and these new like themes, you know, these like thematic races that they're creating. And I just think it's super cool. It's a lot like Stellaris. It feels like the same, like, you know, like Stellaris creation system only in a fantasy setting. And, you know, beyond that, I just think that they they did take a lot of what I thought didn't work with Planetfall and they've kind of, you know, I, I know that people say that, that they've dumbed it down, but I think they've streamlined it in a way that feels more appealing to a wider audience and also feels more appealing to me personally, because I didn't like a lot of the modification stuff, but we will we'll get into that. I don't want I don't want to talk negative yet, but a lot of the things that didn't work for me have now been either stripped out or streamlined and made much easier to deal with. And the combat's probably the best it's ever been because it's not only tactical and frenetic, but it's also, it's quick. You know, it's quick enough that I don't feel like I'm pulled away from the actual strategy game version or strategy game portion of the game. And I I really like that. So, I mean, I, I could go on. I, I, I've been, I'm 140 hours in myself or 137 hours in. And I see at least another 70, 70, 80 hours before I get bored and look for the next DLC or expansion. But I think this is easily Triumph Studios' best iteration, period. I think it's one of the best Fantasy 4X games to come out maybe ever. And it's definitely one of the most exciting fan- or exciting 4X games for me in, in some time. If I can just bounce in there, actually. I mean, you mentioned about just the way it looks. The immersion, I agree with you. I think it's just incredible. But uh, one of my uh, viewers, actually, when I was doing a live stream, actually had mentioned something which I, I didn't think about it until actually he mentioned it, and it was that it's become sexy again. And if you've played version one and two, they were quite sexy games. Like they actually had like nude characters. They sort of played on that sort of sexual aspect. But by the time three came along, you know, the, the figures were very thick and clunky. Uh, there was no femininity about it at all. And it actually has gone back to really sort of embracing masculinity, femininity. It just looks fantastic. And I hadn't thought about it until he mentioned it, but I thought it actually is a sexy game again. And uh, even the, bringing back the Age of Wonders 2 characters, like you've got Carissa and characters like that that you now find in the game. And it's just fantastic like to sort of come across. If you, if you played the old versions of the game, you've got all these Easter eggs that are there for you. And it's, uh, yeah, I just think it's, as you say, the, the look of it, the immersion of it, there's just nothing like it. There's been, it, it's the most immersive of any of the Age of Wonders series that I've ever played. I just wanted to agree with you, Daz. Like, I found the only mods that I ever used in Age of Wonders 3 and Planet 4 were mods to make the women look like women. And I'm not talking about the Amazons in Planet 4 because they were supposed to look like men. You know, that was, a, that was an aesthetic thing. But I think Paradox. We're on this kind of really bad trajectory, I think, um, with regards to certain, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, certain ways of presenting female characters, let's say. And it was rubbing me up the wrong way. And I was delighted to see that they've really walked all that back and that the characters now, you know, you've got male characters, you've got female characters, and then it's just all this kind of crazy other sort of 
sort of stuff that they brought in there. But you know, yeah, it's got the sexy in, and I'm an old guy, right? I like sexy in games. I, I'm an un- unabashed pervert. <laughs> so like when I when I see sexy in games, it just makes me happy because it's so rare these days. Like you have to really go to sort of Eastern European games developers now, really, to see stuff like that. Because in Europe, it's just it's really kind of squashed and part of that is to do with the way that the uh, development companies get funding from the european union and they're really really not into that so i was very surprised to see that paradox have walked that uh, triumph and paradox have walked that back because that's really good news in my opinion yeah and just to kind of further on that i was you know moving into this game or going into this game i was concerned that a lot of like the fantasy tropes would be missing but it turns out that not only are they there but you know, they're in spades and, you know, and with that, you know, to kind of go back to this and I know that it's not like a, it's a huge selling point, but I do, I do appreciate that. Like, you know, you have bearded dwarves, bearded dwarf women, but at the same time you also have, you know, Carissa, I mean, she's pretty hot. <laughs> like, and she's leading orcs, you know, like these kind of things, it just, it, it feels very fantasy. Like that whole, it, 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 like Daz said, it starts to feel much more immersive as a result because these are the, these fantasy tropes that I've always liked, that I've, I've always looked to when I play games and to see them here, I really appreciate. And I also just appreciate all the weird shit that's happening in this game too. Yeah, I think the fantasy tropes are something that I've really latched onto. Actually, I, I think it's incredible that you've got a system, and this is again just why it's just so much better than anything that's happened in the past. To have a system where you can build, and, and you look at the elves, like you've got the, the fantasy tropes with elves, just just elves on their own. You've got dark elves, you've got high elves, you've got wood elves, and all three of those uh, can actually be uh, thrown into the mix, and and you can build exactly what you're looking for within those three. Look, one of the criticisms I hear from people who I think I haven't really got into the game but trying to evaluate it in their own mind as to whether they want to get the game is that they look at the system of the races and then they think, well, you can have a you can have halflings that end up being as strong as orcs. And yes, you can, but why would you do it? Because that just blocks the immersion. So yes, you have the ability to do that, but nobody's going to actually go and do it. It's not it's not going to be fun for anyone to do it that way. Or if you know, particularly if you are into fantasy tropes, you're just not going to do it. So for me, it actually it all of the everything I've tried where I've wanted to sort of try to build something very specific, I've been able to do, which I think has just been incredibly good. Uh, even halflings, I actually played as them the other day and actually won a won a game. So I've played it all the way through to fruition, which I didn't think I'd enjoy the halflings, but I just made them woodland creatures. You know, basically just went full full on nature woodland creatures just took all the nature sort of stuff with them and it worked you know even just playing it that way was incredibly good fun so uh, i've just found the immersion second to none you look at the um and i guess if you're looking at the old system of the way that again age of wonders has progressed right from from uh, series one all the way through to now series four where they had started off with the matrix the old uh, dungeons and dragons matrix of good neutral evil and chaotic neutral ordered where they had that sort of like that three by three matrix and all of the factions fell into those three for versions one and two of the game and so the the good races would only like other good races the evil would only like other evil races so you had this sort of area where you couldn't really break out diplomatically and then with three they tried to get around that by not by just dropping all of those alignments all all together and so it made for me that was the thing i hated about age of wonders three more than anything except for the except the halflings of course but they came in as a dlc (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, on, so on release, it was the uh, for me. It was the when they dropped the alignments. It was suddenly, how can you have good orcs? Or how you know, like it just didn't make sense. And 
I think that they've now solved that again, you know, like with the way that they've actually tackled this. There's so much to like about this system that they've now got where you can do anything you like, but you tend to push it. I, I know that for myself personally, I don't play to min-max playing the game at all. I only play to role play. And so when I make a choice about the tomes or the race or anything like that, I'm just pushing forward the role play that I've got going and I'm enjoying it incredibly after that. Totally agree. Hey, Jesse, what are some of the things you're liking about Age of Wonders 4? So like I mentioned before, there's a lot to like, so I'm not going to go through my entire list, but I have to say that like there's a certain like sense of craftsmanship that the Triumph team has put into Age of Wonders 4 that I think is was is really effective. Lots of like little details and you know little you know bits and pieces that have been woven into the game in a way that you know that, that don't really stand out as like, oh, you know, this is a great system, this is a great system upgrade, but just show an attention to detail and you know, just a love for the game and the genre that like I, I really appreciate. Like I, I'm I'm still like being constantly surprised by like new hero traits. And, you know, like I like actually like zooming down and looking at the, the environments. Like the map generation is just like is really excellent. It's beautiful. Like particularly like like recently I started a multiplayer game, you know, with the with the desert realm trade and it was just it looked lovely. And like, you know, I, I'm, you know, very much a, unlike, you know, DOS, I'm much more of a, you know, optimization, you know, let, let, let's see how this game works sort of person. But, you know, even with that, I can't help but just sort of like, you know, viewing, through, you know, flying through the landscapes. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a big Stellaris guy. So I actually like, you know, a lot of the sort of like interlocking generation that you can do now with, you know, the cultures and the races and particularly the maps. Like, I, I think the, the realm system that they have here is like something really special and is going to drive a lot of replayability for people who, you know, end up jiving with the game. And it, it, I think it's actually one of the big reasons that I'm still sort of like obsessively playing it at this point. What about you, Ben? What are you finding the most fun about Age of Wonders 4? Okay, so what I like is I just like the game in general. And if that sounds like a bit of a vague thing to say, then I'll elucidate a little bit. I think just like with my other favorite game, Conquest of Elysium, Conquest of Elysium 4 was kind of a good game, but it had problems. And the way that they fixed it wasn't by adding, wasn't by drastically changing anything. They just, they just kind of polished every area of it and added just enough in every little area that it raised the level of the game in a big way. And I feel that's kind of what has happened with Age of Wonders 4. I do have some misgivings about the direction they've gone in certain ways, but there's no doubt about it. The tactical combat is still the best in the subgenre, and it's got it's just got better. It's faster. It's less fatiguing. It's really really good. I I think it's a little bit muddy in a sense, and it's quite I find it quite hard to see what's going on sometimes. Where I found Planetfall very very clear, so that's a step back for me. But overall, the graphics are great. Uh, I love these big chunky mountains that you get on the map, and uh, you know this, the, the the map just looks really good. You can zoom in and see all this fine detail. Just the overall immersion of the game is just so much better. I love all the different faction builds that you can do. Again, I've got stuff to say about that, but for the most part, this is the first time I played Age of Wonders where I've really kind of got excited about picking a sort of build and a theme to my build as well. You know, like I've gone, okay, I want to have these, I want to have these goblins, right? But they're going to be like super armor goblins. So we've got this dwarf and this crazy dwarf is going to be the leader and he's going to be like the dwarf from the, the ring cycle of Wagner, you know, from that old Germanic myth. And he's going to be creating all these magic items and this, and this kind of armor for them. So they're going to have these super powerful, like swarming goblins and i got really excited about it and i didn't really do that in the other games i didn't think that they were deep enough really for that at least for me they never really immersed me in that way so yeah that's it's really ticking a lot of boxes in that respect and just the fact that i can play it for longer periods of time without just 
kind of getting sick of it because that was a real big problem for me with Age of Wonders 3 and Planetfall. I could play for maybe an hour or two at max and then the battles were so long and so large eventually that I just was like, I just can't be bothered to play this anymore. It's just, I'm tired. Whereas I don't really get that with Age of Wonders 4. I'm finding that I'm playing for much longer. So yeah, just overall, the game is good. And that's kind of the thing that I like about it. There's nothing really that stands out. I don't I think that just overall, it's just raised in level. But it's not that different from the past two games. And I do think the game's kind of been overhyped in a sense, because partly, I suspect, because it's it's kind of been dumbed down a bit for, for the masses. And the masses like it, right? So it's sold really well. The game's been hyped to all hell by Paradox. And I think that if you are coming from the past games, unless you're Daz, <laughs> if you're coming from the past games, you're probably going to be a bit like, hmm, yeah, this is like... You know, one step forward, one step sideways, one step back, and then, you know, one step upwards, <laughs> if you follow me. I can agree with that. I think that there will be, I mean, there's definitely a group or at least a maybe even a, a fan base of the game or the series that might feel like some of the stuff that, you know, has changed in Age of Wonders 4 would feel like a step back. But I, I, I genuinely think that, you know, unless you're like a, a real grognard, and I think that's part of the reason why... I couldn't do the same, right? So like if you're talking about Planetfall, I couldn't get past an hour or two of gameplay either. And it would be because I felt like there was just so much. It was so cerebral. It was so like not only was combat like, you know, tactically intensive, but there was there was all these modifications you'd need to like consider and like your damage types and you know, the next research wasn't always like super simple. It was like, man, where do I go with this next this next tech? I mean, how is it going to affect my synergies? And it just, it felt so mentally draining, consuming that I couldn't last for more than an hour or two. And it would, it would be hard to pick up, you know, it, it, and I was in the beta. I think it's okay for me to say that. And I would push through a lot of that because I wanted to help, but I just, I didn't jar with it as much as I, I thought I would because, you know, it's a, terrestrial science fiction or science, you know, yeah, science fiction based Forex game. And I thought that that would be like, you know, the bee's knees. I mean, I didn't think there would be any way I couldn't possibly love that more than anything, but I just, I think it was just too much for me. And I think the fact that they have scaled back some of this stuff and made it a little bit more simple is actually better. And I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. So what about you, Daz? What do you think? Actually, I disagree with you both actually on this one, because I I think that when you think of Age of Wonders 4 as a follow-on from either Planetfall or Age of Wonders 3, I can understand that maybe, you know, it's maybe people could sort of see it as, as, a, as you know, sort of not being what they expected. But I know that, again, when I play the game, I've got a lot of people who watch me who uh, used to play a lot of Age of Wonders 2. And, look, I played probably more Age of Wonders 2 than any, any other game ever. Like, for me, this is actually a follow-on from Age of Wonders 2 with lessons learned from Age of Wonders 3 and 4. From that perspective, I just think it's such an improvement if the whole series where all of those lessons really using Age of Wonders 2 as as the starting point. Again, we mentioned Carissa and all these other sorts of characters. They've really gone back to 2 and thought, okay, with all the stuff we've then learnt in between in the, in the decades since then, how can we make it so that starting at 2 make it actually make sense with 4? And I just think it's a massive, massive, massive step forward. I just can't see... Uh, you know, particularly at launch, because they will patch things, they'll fix things up. I just think it's such a massive, massive step forward. Yeah, I, I actually, I agree with Das. 
uh, here. But when, you know, once again, you know, considering the fact that I, I never played one or two, but like, you know, based on my, you know, you know, t- the tons of time that I spent with three in Planetfall, like, you know, it, it feels like they've taken a lot of the DNA and rebuilt it from the ground up. Like, you know, they just sort of, you know, t- looked at what they did in three, they looked at what they did in Planetfall and they said, okay, let's, you know, rip out everything that isn't working, mix it up again, you know, to take some mo- modern design ideas and, you know, just make the best uh, spiritual successor to a- Age of Wonders that we can, ca- we can which, you know, and it, it feels, I-, I think it feels a lot like the previous iterations of the game, but I, I think on a fundamental, on a genetic level, it is very, very different. Right. So with that kind of like foundation of what we'd like, and I think we could probably go into like individual aspects of the game that we like quite a bit. I did want to kind of touch base on combat just a little bit because Daz mentioned that it would be something that we could talk about for some time. And for me, I just, there's two points that I want to make about combat and then I will turn it over to Daz. But the first thing that really has helped me appreciate and understand or appreciate and enjoy Age of Wonders 4 more is that the auto resolve is actually pretty damn good. So it's not perfect. And I think that's why it's actually just perfect in a lot of ways because it's it's good enough to handle a lot of the stuff, a lot of the low-hanging fruit. So I don't have to make a manual combat choice every single time that I play the game. What do you mean by good? Do you mean that it it kind of resolves things favorably for you? Or do you mean that it's that it is designed in a way to get a certain thing out of the gamer? Like, what do you mean exactly? Well, so this is where I could go into it. So I think it's it's really good in that it does two things. First, that it will take care of the low-hanging fruit. So it will it will provide the expected results of what you would probably get if you were to do the combat in about 80% of combat situations. And the other 20, it won't. And I don't know if that's because it's just not using your spells correctly sometimes, or if it's just not, I mean, it's just uh, clearly it's on the same level as a human, but that 20% where it doesn't do what you'd expect it to do, you then fight it out manually. And a lot of times if you're thinking tactically and you're using your skills and you're using your magic and you're positioning your armies correctly, you will do well. And I think that's why I really like it because it's it's doing a lot of the like the the boring legwork for me without me having to do too much manual combat. But when it comes down to the pivotal fights and to those times where things are a bit of a toss up, I can then jump in and 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 manually control this battle and usually have a better result than the auto resolve. And I think that that balance of it doing what it can do to help you, you know, get through the tedium of some of the early game battles and then also providing you with the opportunity or, you know, not being so good that you'd use it all the time. And even when, you know, it's, it's not so good that you use it every single battle and get better results with auto resolve than you can with manually fighting it out and using your skills well and being tactically minded. I'm going to jump in here real quick. I, I will have to note that every so often I end up, you know, being like, oh, I can do better than that. And then I do worse. And it's extremely, extremely embarrassing. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said in regards to auto resolve. Like, you know, the, the fact that it's 80% and, you know, you can just sort of like 
jump in there to you know get the last twenty percent is really cool. And I, I think the fact that you, they have the, you know the ability to watch the other resolve, you know, fighting it out, and then jump in at the exact moment you want to, and then turn it back on again, you know, also really adds to the overall functionality and just you know effectiveness of the system. Like I don't think anybody would be happy if you know is always doing as good or better than we could, because then, you know, why even, you know, fight out the tactical battles, but, you know, the tools that they've put in there, I think are just, you know, really well done and, you know, really add to the overall enjoyment that you can get to the game while avoiding a lot of the tediness, uh, tediousness that you can get from, you know, some some games with, you know, just the sheer quantity of battles that Age of Wonder, Wonders 4 has. Yeah, I got to agree with you both, really. I think it's really well done. The fact that you get the option is really good. There's always a little bit of concern whenever there's an auto-resolve game in a game that is 50% at least tactical combat because you don't want it to be so good that it, it discourages the player from using it. So I think if if people are starting to auto-resolve more battles than they're playing, you know, and I mean for you know meaningful battles, not for ones where you're obviously just going to ruffle-stomp the enemy, then that's probably a bad system. And this is kind of what I was getting at. This is one of the things that I think was really misunderstood about Total War, where people were kind of talking about the auto-resolve and just saying, oh, no, you know, I always lose until, you know, it's just, it's unfair. And it's like, look, it's deliberately like that. It's to force you to play the battles. And that's the whole point of the game. So, but I actually think they've got it about right in this one because j- just like you guys, what, from what you've been saying, I've got the same experience. I find that generally speaking, if I auto-resolve it and I try to play it again, sometimes I'll lose it. And so, you know, it is testing your knowledge of the game mechanics in a big way. And you can still win battles that it is saying that you're going to lose. You know, you can just outplay your opponent. So it is. I think it's really good. It's one of the better auto battle systems I've seen. Yeah, and to Jesse's point too, I think with the battles that I've auto-battled or auto-resolved and then tried myself and got a worse result, I started watching those auto resolves a little bit more to see what it was that the PC was doing. And I realized that I wasn't using my skills to the same effect that the AI was. And it changed my game. Like it changed the way I fought battles and it's really changed the way. And I, and I, I, I know that this is silly because it should have been something I've already looked at and stuff like that. But, you know, I was going into these battles and using spells and using flanking maneuvers and thinking that I was like some like tactical genius when really honestly, using these skills can be the difference between, you know, winning a battle or getting completely crushed. And it was really cool to see, you know, like to watch those auto resolve battles play out and see that that's what they were doing. And that's how they were winning these battles. Yeah. I'm finding it just in, in, again, pretty incredible. I say pretty incredible because there are some little, some differences there with the uh, way the combat system does work. I've, I've certainly found exploits, which I use all the time now, which I don't like. I wish, I wish I could actually sort of, do something a bit different to get a good result. But I'm, I'm finding if I stack one side of the battlefield, you tend to uh, do much, much better than if you actually attack across the whole battlefield. The AI tends to turtle up in corners and, uh, and then they basically come for you. If you take on one corner at a time, you tend to be able to wipe that corner out and then, and then face the other corner with your full stack. So I'm finding that no matter what battle I'm actually playing. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that, I guess, but I, I don't know how they'll resolve that because that's something the AI doesn't know how to do that. I do exactly the same thing, Does It's interesting that you've... I haven't really watched you play, by the way, but I've not watched anyone play it, and I just came to that conclusion that if you isolate them into two different pockets, the AI struggles with that completely. So you can win battles that are really 
quite you know you're quite outmatched in if you play in that way it's quite i wonder if those kind of exploits will be sort of like patched out what do you reckon i don't think they will be because the reason that they end up isolating themselves like that is to get the most like from what uh, what rob was saying they end up trying to get the best bang for buck from all of their skill set before the battle starts and the, and the age of wonders has never done that in the past age of wonders has been very predictable in the way that it will actually come at you and it will always start to walk forwards this is the first age of wonders game ever basically that's where they've actually gone back found what they consider to be their best buff system first and then come at you which means that you've got like an extra two turns at the start to position your forces so if you use those two turns to actually to stack one end of the battlefield that's how you can then overcome their ability to buff their units and so they tend to do that pretty religiously and they tend to split off so that they can get those one hex extra stacks on those different groups and so it's clever what it's doing but it's exploitable but having said that as well like i mean we're talking about the whole combat system as a, as a whole i mean first of all i don't think there's any game that's has got in such an intricate tactical combat as any of the age of wonders games have ever had like age of wonders is just out on a, its own st- different sort of stratosphere the way that it sort of does do its own combat like tactical combat so it's always been for me the absolute pinnacle of tactical combat from any game the way that it's then changed over the years has been interesting as well again looking right back from age of wonders one through two through three through planet fall and then now we here at age of wonders four i think the whole system of not using the surrounding six hexes before you start combat but instead picking the three best armies like well, the attacking army plus two other two of your other best armies to then go in to join the battle within within three hexes of the actual three or four hexes of the actual fight itself is so liberating in what it can then do it, it's it's forgiving on one sense it doesn't dumb it down but what it does do is it allows you to plan much more fluidly whereas before you had to do it in a much more gamey way now it feels much more natural just with that whole sort of setup so that for me is one massive change with Age of Wonders 4 that has never been there before. The second thing of actually only having a maximum of three per side, I think is incredibly interesting as well, because that then means that, you know, whether it be sieges or whatever, Rob actually had mentioned this as well before, that the that the tactical combat has been scaled down to, to an area now where it's much more interesting and intricate and intimate as well, where the fighting does start earlier in a lot of ways, but and you don't actually have the breadth and scope that you used to actually have in the game. I mean, you look back at the old, I don't know if it was version one or version two, but when you did a siege, you had the whole city and you had to defend every single wall all the way around the city if you were going to be defending the city itself. And it was really, really tough because you had to, depending on where your forces were, you had to run through the city to get to the wall that might be being attacked. And it's just funny how they've scaled that down over the years to now we've got like a very condensed siege. I think that if the scale was maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit further back for some of these, I think it would help that problem of being able to stack one side or the other. It would allow the AI to then catch up. But I think overall, it, the again, the innovations that have come through, they've innovated to the point where the battles are still as intricate as they've ever been, probably more intricate than they've ever been in terms of the actual units, but they've also been much more, much closer in. And so you're actually getting to the actual nitty gritty of the combat much, much earlier than what you did in any of the other games. So for me, it's it's I love what they've done. I love it as a first iteration. I think there are there is room for improvement because there are exploits with that. 
I mean, there's exploits all the way through the game, really. But I, I think overall, I'm really, really happy with the changes in the way that they've actually handled combat and the and the implementation of combat as well, like you know the, the way you sort of then move into it. So this kind of ties in with this combat thing, but it's also part of a. It's also partly to do with the unit enchantment system. Uh, I really think this is the main step back in the game where they've kind of moved away from the modding system that they had in Planetfall. This is a, a mechanic that goes right the way back to Master of Magic where individual units, you could you could buff them on the strategic map for a mana upkeep every turn. And it was done on an individual unit by unit basis. And then you could also, usually with the same spell in combat, temporarily buff their unit to give them a temporary boost in order to be able to overcome a problem now this drastically changes the the way that the game is played because now you have this unit enchantment thing like this global unit enchantment thing where all of your units are enchanted so i might not want lightning you know lightning weapons on every one of these things but i've got to pay for it now so that bugs me it really bugs me on the strategic map. Hang on, Ben. I'm just going to jump jump in and, and you interrupted me, so I'll interrupt you right here. But I agree 100 sure. with you. <laughs> sure, sure. So, and like, I think I really feel this is part of a greater issue with Age of Wonders Four that I think people are going to start to wake up to as they play it more and more. That I think we've traded off some mechanical immersion for graphical and this sort of like sandboxy kind of immersion that we've got. Now it's kind of like they've sort of top loaded the game in that respect in that it's super cool to be able to you know choose all these different factions and all these different you know body types and you know and you know have all this wonderful kind of immersion with regards to you know the choice that you've got much like in Solaris but this has come at the cost of reducing the complexity and the build that you have during the game if you've got like an enemy coming at you that your army is not kind of suited to deal with traditionally in fantasy forex you would be able to make small adjustments to that at, in order to be able to kind of tip things in your favor it is an interesting thing because now you do have to kind of build a more rounded force i guess but it does mean that you are hard countered with certain things and it's there's there's kind of no way to get around it if you are hard countered and that is i think that is that has kind of reduced some player agency and i do feel that it is part of this greater issue where we've you know we've we've kind of traded off mechanical immersion like min maxes love this stuff yeah they love being able to like individually add things to each unit in order to you know to overcome challenges like you could with a mod system and i thought that the way that age of wonders planetfall did this kind of individual unit enchantment thing was really good because it cost cosmite in order to change your units around so it was expensive to do it but you could if you wanted to trade off other things that you were using your cosmite on right you could you could then kind of go okay well i'm not gonna be able to get this thing with my cosmite but i can i can buff my individual units in order to face this coming threat that i've got you don't really get that kind of gameplay anymore and i feel that 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 has taken like the mechanical immersion away from players who really love that intricate kind of gameplay. And I've heard people say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, it, but it was it was annoying having to individually put like you know fire arrows on each of my archers." It's like, look, this is four X games, man. Like you you can't just keep streamlining and streamlining and streamlining things and still expect it to be a four X game at the end of the at the end of the you know that this kind of streamlining process. So I don't necessarily think it's dumbed down, but I do think it's kind of you know we have lost some eight player agency. Now, I have to agree with you because I think that I think you can have both, right? I think you can have this this grander, more blanketed enchantment system that you know works for all of your units and provides you this like direction of like you know some sort of elemental damage or whatnot. But you, I, I would love to see a return of some sort of like mod system. I don't know how you'd call it or what you'd call it. Maybe some, you know, I, I don't even know, but 
where you could start to, you know, maybe, yeah, this one particular army is suited for holy, you know, holy battles or whatever, like, or holy enemies. And you, yeah, it'll cost you some Imperium and it's going to cost you some gold to change these guys and to give you, give them like a particular mod set. But yeah, I, I think that that kind of ability to adjust to your, your given circumstances would be really fun. And I don't want to see it fall back. I mean, personally, I don't want to see it fall back to an o- like only modification system because I feel like that became a little bit too micromanagement. But I do think that the idea of having something that would additionally add to your units, especially on a unit-by-unit basis for the times where you're talking about, where you have these hard counters and you're being hard countered and you need to react to that. And I think that that would be something that they could absolutely do. I, I mean, I wouldn't know what the name of it would be, but that's what they get paid for. And But I, I do think the systems, the, the game is ripe for a system like that. And I can't imagine that that system won't be implemented at some level before the game is done. But before I let Jesse talk, we're going to take a brief break for a word from our sponsors. This portion of our content is sponsored by THQ Nordic and owned by Gravity's Spellforce. Conquest of EO. This 4X RPG adventure game has us all wrapped up in its wonder here at Explominate. In fact, our very own Jesse Dean called this game a masterpiece, and he has almost 400 hours with Spellforce Conquest of EO. So we were really happy to take on this sponsorship. In Spellforce Conquest of EO, you take over the abandoned tower of your old master, who has vanished without a trace. You discover that he was conducting research on the Archfire, the very essence of magic on EO. Against the will of the powerful Circle Mages, you follow his path to unleash the potential of the Archfire to become one of the most powerful mages. Will you go to war with the Circle, or force them to accept you among their ranks? For those of you coming back to Spellforce who are real-time strategy game fans, you're likely going to enjoy this one as well because the producer from the first two games is back for Spellforce Conquest of EO. Like I mentioned before, we at Explominate are really enjoying Spellforce Conquest of EO for its unique mixture of Forex and strategy gameplay and also some role-playing elements that we really have enjoyed. So Forex and strategy game fans, those of you looking for something new and different should definitely check out Spellforce Conquest of EO. As you likely already know, it's available now on PC only on the Steam storefront. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm not going to argue that the enchantment system is as flexible as the mod system because, you know, it clearly isn't. It's all, you know, as mentioned, it's also a lot more micromanaging. But I do feel that you have the ability to react to larger strategic trends and build considerations that you see on the part of your opponents. Maybe not like rapidly, but, you know, even in like Age of Wonders Plan the Fall, you had to, you know, research the right modifications in order to be able to do so. But, you know, with the tome system that they have set up, which, you know, each of which is bundled with specific unit enchantments or race transformations and such, and, you know, the sheer flexibility that offers, you are able to say, okay, well, you know, 
I, I see that, you know, I have this specific opponent or, you know, my opponents are making these specific decisions and you can sort of like redirect your research, even go back to like, you know, lower tier tomes if it's important or an emergency and sort of like shape what the, your overall troop compositions look like in the process. And, you know, if it turns out, you know, a specific enchantment that you've already researched is, you know, is taking up more mana, is, you know, taking up more resources then that makes sense for the specific battles and the wars you're fighting and you drop them and, you know, you switch around. So like you do have some flexibility, like it's just like, you know, you just have to look at it from a very different sort of way than you were seeing in Planetfall. And like, and I don't think like compared to like three, you know, you've lost any sort of complexity or depth. Like I think it's as in-depth as three ever was. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's complex and it is intricate, but I find it actually unintuitive now to the point where, like, for example, you've got your major race transformation. You've got one of those that you can do. You can only apply one of those to your actual faction. I think that's great. They don't really change the, you know, the abilities all that much, but it's pretty cool what it actually does too. You've got as many minor transformations as you want to put on them. I'm happy with them as well because, again, you're not paying any upkeep on either one of those. You pay for it up front. You've got to set it all up with your spell casting and your mana and your gold and whatever else it might sort of cost you to sort of implement those. And then once they're implemented, they're implemented across your whole faction. They're fantastic. I love both of those. The thing I don't like is the unit upgrades that you end up getting where, and from what you know, Ben had been sort of mentioning before, that you end up essentially with a system that replaces the mod system because it's, that's the only bit that I don't like is I think if you went back to the mod system for those unit enchantments, you'd then be able to get the nuance that you that you are sort of looking for in the uh, in the specific units and for example in planetfall i used to wait until the uh, units had gone as you know had gone a little bit of experience so that they actually weren't useless and then upgrade them and i would have much preferred to have that degree of i guess you'd call it micromanagement but really when you think about it like how how many how many units are you really looking at in the actual game anyway it's not as if you're looking after thousands of them you might be looking after you know, tens, not not even hundreds. <laughs> and so when I, I'm always surprised when I do one of these unit upgrades at how few of the different unit classes they're actually being applied to. And, you know, like I sort of thought like I had a heap of archers before when I, like when I was playing earlier today. And I, when I actually went to do the upgrade, I had three. And I thought I had like about eight or nine, you know, which is not that, not that big a number. And I think the mod system for me just works so, so much better than this unit enchantment you know, upgrade type system that they actually have. And they tend to be the things you put into the mods anyway. They tend to be the sorts of things that do give you like the, the lightning damage or the fire damage. And I'd much prefer to be managing that myself. Now, brace yourselves for one of Battle Mode's famous unpopular opinions. But I really, really dislike the, the, the way that people use the term micromanagement in this. And I honestly feel that this inaccurate language is actually contributing to these games being changed in a way that I really don't like. And, and I see it a lot. Loads of people, you say this, oh, I don't like the micromanagement of having to individually do things to units, right? That's not micromanagement. Micromanagement is something like in Master of Orion, where you are every turn altering the sliders to get to squeeze the best amount of production or whatever it is that you're trying to squeeze out every single turn. That's micromanagement. But individually adding effect, you know, like unit enchantments to individual units is not micromanagement. Okay. That's just like management. That's part of what you're doing in the game. And because 
I see this on Steam forums a lot and in Steam reviews. People go, oh, there's too much micromanagement. So the, the, the net result is that they're dumbing games down because people are saying that they don't want to do the things that we do all the time in strategy games. So but I don't mean to offend anyone, by the way, by saying this. You know, It's just we've got to be really careful about the language that we use because as we start to misuse the language in that respect then people start picking up these ideas and it becomes like a meme and the you know this kind of like infectious idea starts cutting into you know the way that we critique things and actually it's not an accurate critique really like i don't think that individually adding unit enchantments to you know units in my in master of magic for example was a big problem it doesn't take long if you've got halfling slingers and you want to put fire fire arrows on them or whatever or fire slings on them you might have to do like 15 yeah, but not it's not all going to be in one turn. So I don't know. I just I feel like it was like an, an issue that never really existed that started to actually contribute in a negative way now to the way that people are designing games because they're really stripping back things and making this kind of like, you know, okay, now I only have to push one button in order to enchant all my units, but at the at the loss of player agency, is that a good thing? I don't think so. Agree with you 100%, Ben. I think that that's a really, really good point. Very strong point, actually. Micromanagement, as you say, is is management that doesn't matter. And it's it's the management that the computer could do for you. It's the things that just get in the way of, uh, of actually getting in, in terms of the strategy and putting the selection down on individual units as to which one you're going to give powers to and which one you're not going to give powers to is actually a strategic choice. So it takes away your agency and strategic choice when you do these sort of global unit enchantments. So I hate saying this, Ben, but I actually agree with you 100%. <laughs> well, it's got to happen at least once a week, hasn't it, it does? God, I hate to say it too. I have to freaking... I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. I do say micromanagement. I think that I've used that term incorrectly because it's, it is... It, <sighs> I wasn't targeting anyone with this, by the way. I don't, you know, you, you understand that. I think it's just an important point to make. You know, and it's, a, it's an important point to make, and I appreciate it because I feel like a good game would allow me to do pretty well on most difficulties. I think the problem with Planetfall was that even on the, the normal difficulties, you wouldn't do well unless you knew how to work the synergy system to at least moderate effect. And so you were frequently changing modifications to make it feel like your units were doing well. And so it started to feel micromanagey as a result, because I feel like I was constantly tweaking that and it wasn't fun for me to constantly tweak that to figure out what was going on and how to do things and how to make things work. But to your point, I get that, you know, for the most part, you know, it's not like, yeah, like you said, it's not like having to go in with Master Ryan and constantly tweak things to min-max things. And that would be the only way I could win. So I get it. I think that, yeah, the, the term is probably overused and I'm certainly guilty of that. And I think your point was spot on. I wish that there could be a system that would kind of allow for both. And definitely if you are better at figuring out the optimal ways of enchanting your heroes and units, that you're going to just be better. But that there's still an you know, like a, a path for someone like me who likes to probably do a couple here and there and move on. I think the problem comes when there are fine details that we that can be altered turn by turn where the player feels encouraged to micromanage, okay? So like I say, with, with the sliders in Master of Orion, if you wanted to squeeze out just a few more points every turn, a few more colonists, whatever, then it rewarded players for doing that in a way. But the problem was modern games really should now be engineering it so that those things are automated and this is something that does said 
You know, that you should be automating things where just disincentivizing the player from having to go into the fine details all the time because that's what's boring. It's not, you know, those kind of micromanagement tasks are, are irritating for people and I am absolutely on board with the need to kind of reduce that. Right, so now that we've given Ben his like weekly props, monthly props, we're going to move on to something else so that we don't let him get too excited and too sure of himself. <laughs> so anyway, I do want to go into some of the things that I feel like personally I want to see changed. And I don't know that... Uh, personally, I don't know if you guys are going to agree with me, but I'm going to say what I think personally that I want to see the this game move in the direction of. Uh, there's, of course, uh, the, the general like... AI improvements and crashes and all that stuff can just be thrown out there, right? And I certainly don't want to like take away from that as a as a as a real thing because I know that there's still people out there experiencing crashes. But like once we get past all that, for me personally, I still feel like the cultures don't feel different enough. I know that there are some like very specific things that if you really looked at like their production numbers and their capabilities and their economies that you could say like, yeah, well, you know, the dark culture is better at this and so on and so forth. But I really just don't feel like playing a culture feels that much different when I play, like when I, when I get into it. So I just, what I really want to see personally, and maybe this is too far, maybe this is something that we can agree on. I don't know. I'm certainly excited to hear what you guys think, but I would like to see some economy changes for which, like based on the culture, uh, there was a, there was a really great point brought up about, you know, like if you're playing the barbarian culture, you know, maybe using less money and more draft to hire heroes and hire units and stuff like that and maybe you know maybe they because they are a barbarian horde or barbarian culture they're they're utilizing less money to recruit heroes and, and units and stuff like that and they're using something else instead that you might get more of especially like draft right they maybe they just they're they're increased draft and they use more draft to to produce these things i mean like just stuff like that right or like in, in the case of like mystics it actually works actually really well with mystic culture because they do rely a lot on summoned creatures, summoned units, and you can do that because you have much more mana usually with that kind of culture. Actually, can I bounce in there and just follow on with what you've been saying, Rob? I think that that's, that is one of the things the game is se- severely lacking is actually the differences between the those cultural choices when you actually do come into it because, as you say, it would make it so much more nuanced and so much more immersive if you were using the resources. You can still keep the same resources. As you say, I think it's a really good idea to actually use draft in the way for the barbarian tribes in that sort of sense because, let's face it, draft is the most useless of all of the different resources that you actually generate in the game. You don't need anywhere near as much of it as you generate. It's one of those things you just don't need. And if they could find a way to actually make that make more sense, I agree with you 100%. I think that that would be something where if they could... And that wouldn't be much for them to change. I think a few of the other things we've been talking about, they will never change that in Age of Wonders 4. They won't bring a mod system in because it's going to be... It's actually... It's going to change the whole design parameters of the game. So I don't think that we're going to get that. I mean, I hope that we do, but I don't think we will. But something like that where you're actually making better use of the resources available depending on the cultural choice that you make at the start of the game, would, as you say, just enhance the feel of that in in different ways. And I almost wish that there was like a third choice that you could actually then go and get for everything to do with the actual races as well, where they also had very particular ways of uh, of getting some sort of 
thematic benefit from either different terrain, different uh, resources, different build queues, things like that as well. And I'm thinking in terms of you know, the orcs being much more aggressive in, in what they would sort of be wanting to try to build as opposed to, say, the elves, who would be much more you know, about nature and, and about, about forests and so on and so forth. Just something like that to just get that little bit of extra nuance, I guess, to the way that they actually played. Yeah, it's something that I really want to see. It's something that I think that they need to really consider. And I, I, again, I mean, to your point, though, I think that individual unit enchantments could happen. And I think that you could add tomes where you'd start to see like, you know, yeah, I won't get too much into that. I do think that you could do something like mods with unit enchantments that are individualized, but yeah, we'll see what they do that. But I, I do think that my main problem and one of the things that I talked about in my preview article was that I just feel like the the games, you know, it's wild to me because I think the early game is the, the least exciting part of Age of Wonders 4 because the games do start to feel very similar as you start them off. It's not until the mid to late game where things start to really feel different because of the builds you've created and you know you start to utilize the synergies of your tomes and your transformations and your major transformations that's where things start to get interesting and so i think they need to really figure out a way to make the early game more interesting and to feel more nuanced and and more asymmetric i was actually going to disagree a little bit with rob there because like i well a little bit like i i don't think i necessarily disagree with the early game being like not like extremely interesting, but I do feel that it still ends up being more meaningful than a lot of the decisions you end up making later in the game. Like, you know, this is still a 4X, you know, you're, you're still snowballing and, you know, the f- decisions that you make in the first 20 turns, the battles you win, you know, what you build, you know, and particularly like if you're able to get out the, you know, those early settlements and get good locations for them, these end up being like the meaningful and important decisions. And while they're a little bit less interesting than the ones that happen later on, you know, the ones that happen later on, like usually by that point when I'm making, you know, decisions about like, you know, tier three and tier four books, or, you know, some of the, you know, which major transformation I want, like at that point, you know, usually the game has mostly been decided. So I don't think it's actually moved on that much from, you know, other forexes in regards to, you know, what, what's meaningful, what's important and what's interesting. No, that's interesting because I kind of disagree. I think particularly with regards to the previous Age of Wonders games, I think the strategic side of the game is much improved. Like I really didn't class Age of Wonders 3 as a proper 4X game. To me, it was a tact- It was like a Heroes of Might and Magic or Warlords style kind of tactical combat game with a very loose strategy element on the top. Whereas I feel now it's really difficult to make that argument. I do think that the strategic and economic side of the game is much improved. And uh, for example, I just played a game where I was, I started in the underground and I spent most of the, like for the first 50, 60 turns underground, just developing my cities underground and fighting off the occasional incursion. And I didn't break out onto the surface until much later in the game, which is usually that point that you're talking about, Jesse, where the game's kind of been decided, right? And I was drastically underpowered, but because I was making use of raiding tactics and popping up from these underground caves on different sides, I was able to really beat the AI on a strategic level, even though it was much more powerful. It had better magic. I'd messed around with the tomes going back, you know, trying to get tier one tomes more than I needed. So I really underpowered myself and I still managed to win through hard work and a little bit of safe scumming, right? So what I want to ask you guys is, do you think that the strategic side of the game is improved now over the previous games? And do you think it's kind of like up there with other proper fantasy 4X games like like Master of Magic or like... 
dominions or this kind of thing? I think it's actually gone backwards a little bit in terms of its strategic application compared to some of the the older versions of the game. Choke points were so much more important in Age of Wonders 3, in Planetfall, in the the older games than what they are in 4. And I think that's got a lot to do with that 4 range around wherever the battle is to be able to pick up the best three units to go and attack. And Ben, you've actually hit on the one area that with where choke points actually are meaningful, and that's the underground start. That's the only place in the game where you can actually have a, a legitimate choke point. So yeah, I, I actually quite enjoy the underground starts because it's the only place you can do that. So it does give you a lot of protection if you can have two or three stacks within four of those entry points. But there's nowhere else really in the game that sort of that allows that. And I would like to see that done in, in probably in more meaningful ways in the game, because for me, the actual map itself, while it looks great and while it does everything, it's not all that functional. The other thing I don't like is uh, when you actually go on the water, you actually have bigger vision range than what you do when you're on the land. And so it's you're actually rewarded for having your forces on boats, <laughs> which I, I find that also just not, it doesn't feel right for me at the moment. And I don't know how they fix that. I used to love in Age of Wonders 3, like, for example, I used to play again with mods, and one of the mods I used to play with was making the mountains very, very difficult to cross, which meant that they became, like, a, you get a little gap in the mountains, and that was an absolute choke point. And all of that's now gone out of this game. So I'm finding it the strategic elements a lot less impactful than what they used to be, but the tactical combat is much more engaging. What do you think about the economic simulation in the game? Because, again, I feel that it's just a little bit better than Planetfall. As far as the economics is concerned, again, it's, it's for me, it doesn't really sort of like I really don't like having to pay every single turn for upkeep for unit enchantments. I just don't like it. And it, it annoys me. I prefer to be actually using them to, to buy specific buildings, to buy those sorts of things. And I find that it's just it's interesting the way that they've done it, but it's not great. So I, I like it. I don't love it. I actually hate that I have to pay, pay the upkeep. Like you can, for example, if you go and get, depending on the, what unit enchantments you end up sort of applying to to all of your forces, you can go from something where you're getting like plus 50 mana per turn and then suddenly just make one choice with unit enchantments and you're in the negatives. And I hate that, like with a passion. So I'm hoping that somebody mods that out. I prefer to be paying hundreds and hundreds of mana up front to get what I want and not have to pay any upkeep than to actually have this sort of subscription model <laughs> for unit upkeeps, which for me just complicate the game in, in ways that I just don't enjoy. I think that's part of the problem with this unit enhan- enchantment thing, though, with the global side of things, because I would not like to have a game where there's no upkeep for it because it would just make it, I don't know, you could just like pump out units and units and units. You know, uh, I think that is a mechanic that's come right back from Master of Magic that I think needs to stay. The issue is now that you don't get to pick individually which units you're paying the upkeep on. You just have to pay for all of them. I just want to like to switch it a little bit. There was one exploit that I found in the game that's kind of bugging me a little bit. And it's the one where if you switch magic items between people, they are immediately effective. So I found this thing with the Horn of Plenty, which is this item that gives you healing, even if you're in an enemy territory. You can just switch this between your characters every turn in order to be able to just, you know, the horn just teleports across the map. And you can then kind of like just automatically heal all of your armies, providing you're willing to wait a couple of turns. The game seems kind of like, it's got a lot of exploits in it like that. Have you noticed anything like this? Yeah, look, I think that they'll they'll get rid of those little glitches, I guess, over time. 
I don't mind that, to be honest. I don't mind the simplicity. I, I mean, one of the things I really, really like is the fact that you can actually cast your spells and have your your units move at the, in, in the same way. So, you know, in the previous games, you always had to either choose to cast a, cast a spell or have an action with your heroes. And I, I actually quite like that you can now have them as separate elements. So for me, that's a, that's been a big positive. And I do like the simplicity now of being able to shuffle the things around. And if there is something where, for example, I don't know exactly how much you get from the Horn of Plenty, but isn't that the same as just building some, some outposts uh, near wherever you are so that you can actually heal up inside the outpost? I mean, you get 25 healing from an outpost. You very quickly get the outpost in one turn mechanic anyway. So if you are going to be going into a lot of battles in a system, you know, building an outpost where you're going to be actually engaging the enemy forces actually makes perfect sense. Yeah, I've seen some of these exploits too, but like, and you know, they may fix them, but like, I find that the mental load of having, you know, adding additional systems and additional like little nuances that would, you know, allow you to deal with like some of these smaller exploits just really isn't worth like the additional mental load that would be involved in it. Like, you know, I, and I, I would actually say, you know, like, you know, speaking to a point, conversation that you all were having just a little bit earlier, I'm someone who doesn't actually miss the mod system very much because of that. Like, you know, the, just the, the constant switching, the changing, you know, for individual units, for individual fights, you know, it's cool and it, it's it's nice to have it, but like, usually the benefit wasn't sufficient to make up for the additional mental load that it caused for me when I was playing Planetfall. And, you know, usually I'm, I'm the sort of person, you know, I'll dive in, I'll have, you know, like four or five hour sessions where I'm just sort of like deeply absorbed in a game, but I wasn't able to do that with Planetfall because it would just tire me out. And I think the mod system was part of it. And I think adding a lot of, you know, sort of like additional subsystems or rules or, you know, changes to deal with some of these exploits that are, are part of the, you know, ease of use of the of Age, Age of Wonders 4, like I don't think it would be worth it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And uh, yeah, you, you would have to start kind of complicating the rule set, let's say, if you know, in order to kind of like put a band-aid over all of these individual little issues. So yeah, I think that's a fair point. Right. So with that, I just want to kind of, you know, we've we've definitely brought up some good points. And, you know, I think to also maybe just expand on what Daz was saying about the the water being like the main way to explore. I do want to say, I mean, like that, that seems like an area ripe for expansion. With everything that we've talked about, I think that there's still... I mean, we're talking about a base game. And a lot of times, I feel like a base game feels extraordinarily rough. Like, there's there's been so many games that have come out in the past decade where... Especially in the Forex and strategy realm, where the base game comes out and I'm like, all right, cool. I see the foundation for something that could be good now. And I'll look forward to the expansions and come back, right? But this is the first time I felt really enthralled by a base game in a long time if this is the only game we ever got and it never got better i would still really enjoy it i would still be really happy that it came out and i'd still be considering it one of my favorites to be honest and the fact that we have plant dlc at least the fact that we have two dlc that one of which is coming out pretty quickly and i know that's got a quarter three release date or release time frame and then two, at least two major expansions, and they they haven't ruled out more, right? I think that it sold much better than they expected, and I think now they're probably considering more content. The fact that we have all this coming is is really exceptional, honestly. I mean, in a, in a day and age where I think that many times I feel just kind of underwhelmed by the base game and and wait for the first time, I don't. I mean, I absolutely do not want 
this game to end, but I would actually be okay if it did because I see the mantle being taken up by modders and there's still a lot here to like. So for me, wow. I mean, the fact that we're going to get at least four content expansions, two of which seem to be smaller, two of which seem to be much bigger and the rest of it being, I mean, there might possibly be more to that. Just leaves me really excited for the future of Age of Wonders 4. And I, you know, for me, I'm really happy for Triumph Studios. You know, regardless of what you think of the game or any of us thinks of the game, it was cool to see them try new things and not just fall back on what's worked in the past. And said they, I know that Jesse said that it, it feels like a, an iteration, and it is an iteration, but it's actually, it's it is trying new things, right? I think that the whole major transformation system is is relatively. It's actually it is new to the genre in general. I've never seen any other game do that. And, you know, the, the way it's kind of shifted back on some things and it's made some pretty big choices with regards to how the iterations have, have, have tried things in the past, right? It's, it's definitely been a bit more brave than I would have expected. And I like it. I'm glad they did what they did. I'm really excited to see where this game goes. And that's all I've got for now, for now, for now. Yeah, I just want to clarify something. When I said that I thought the game had released in a shoddy state, I didn't mean the quality of the game. I, I And Daz kind of sort of picked me up on this, but I think I meant just like the, the state of the optimization and the bugs, because there was a lot of bugs in the game in the first couple of days, which they patched pretty quick. Uh, but I completely agree, Rob. It's a shame that we have to point this out, that this game has released as a full game. It's really rare for this to happen these days, where a game comes out on its own and it's just a banging game and you don't feel like it's some skeleton that's been pushed out the door quickly just to make money. You know, it's up there with like Crusader Kings 3 and some, a couple of you know other releases where you just feel like, yeah, this doesn't need anything else really. This is a good game on its own yeah i can definitely agree with that like i it, it definitely blows out the you know out of the water any of my you know favorite forex games in regards to quality at the time of the release but you know despite that i still have you know a few complaints some of which i feel that you know are fixable though maybe difficult to fix and one that i i suspect you know just is probably not going to change and maybe just sort of like a fundable, fundamental complaint that I have about the Forex genre in general and is not possible to be fixed. So you, you guys can tell me if you if you think that's you know true or not. But so so the, the first complaint I have is actually about the underground, the underdark, whatever it's called. And that is it's essentially like it feels like you're actually penalized for starting there, in, despite the fact that you know, even if you take like underground adaptation. Even if, you know, you, you know, sort of like gear your build to take advantage of it, just the way the maps are generated, the way it's structured is, is such that like, unless you specifically want to do a challenge run, then, you know, you, it's not wise to start underground because you will be behind. And it's particularly if you, you know, you're, you're playing multiplayer and I've played a, a fair bit of multiplayer of Age of Wonders 4 since it released. I think I've been like, five or six parallel games, multiplayer games of it right now. Unless you are, you know, especially if you're, if you're playing that, like, you know, you are going to end up pretty far behind. And because of, you know, like the, the map system that they have set up is, you know, designed to say you can be short, medium, long, or massive if, if you play with the, the Paradox produced mod, the, sorry, the Triumph produced mod that lets you do that. But it, it doesn't seem to actually take it in, that into account if you 
are if you have someone who's starting on the ground to the point where you know we had you know a game where it had a far distance and one of the other players ended up starting right below me which ended up you know hurting both of us so much compared to the other players who had a bit more distance between us that it it essentially just knocked us out of the game and you know hopefully you know they can find some sort of way to you know resolve that issue and make it so that the you know underground is fun and is effective. And then, you know, and similarly, like water, I feel it is very similar in that regard. So it's a little bit cent- less central because, you know, you don't have an underwater start, you know, you don't have, you know, it, it's still, it's something at the edges that you're kind of interacting with. But like, I feel like, especially for a fantasy game and especially considering, you know, some of the stuff that they did with it in three and Planetfall and, you know, and maybe, maybe don't come with DLC that, you know, it's like, I, I feel that it should be more integral to experiences that you have on maps where, you know, water is prevalent and, you know, is a big part of the gameplay beyond it, you know, being a place where you can, you know, see farther and explore a little bit better. better. So, you know, th- that's my, my one major complaint. The second major complaint. Actually, Jesse, before you, before you go into each of them, if you're going to have, could, could we just briefly uh, yeah. discuss each yeah. point? Because I think it's, it's quite interesting, actually. So if you don't mind, I'll just I'll just bounce in and sort of say I actually do like the underground starts because they are more difficult. I like that the game is not balanced uh, in that sort of sense. So for me, because it's primarily for me going to be a, a single-player game and not a multiplayer game, I, I actually like that I've got the choice to have that sort of start. And also you do actually have the ability to bunker down under there for extended periods. So for me, it's actually not a – it's not the worst start. There's certainly ways to sort of get around it and – so, yeah, for me, I actually like that we've got that one. I wonder actually how the rest of you guys would feel if they brought in other Z levels. If you had, like, multiple Z levels uh, instead of just the one Z level, I actually don't think I'd like it. I think it would be too much micromanagement. But would that actually alleviate the problem? Like, if, for example, if you actually, uh, Jesse, you mentioned that uh, one of the games you were playing, a multiplayer game where you actually, where two of you started off above each other, one, you know, one below, one above, which meant that it must have meant that the actual access point was close to both of your start locations. If there was like a mid-ground level where the entrances were like as far away from each other as possible to get to that mid-level. I just wonder if that would actually fix that issue and then also give you other building ground heading up towards that area? I mean, I think that would be interesting, but like I think one of the big, I mean, the, the big problem, the biggest problem is really about the underground itself in in that like if you do want to bunker down, if you do want to stay down, like there there are, you know, map configurations you can get. Like Ben, when ben was showing me, one earlier where, you know, you can actually connect to other sort of like larger caverns and, you know, build cities in these locations and, you know, really sort of actually have an underground experience before, you know, you move onto the surface and end up sort of, you know, conflicting and fighting with other players. But there are definitely ones where you barely, if at all, have room for your one city and there's no real ways to get into other areas to build cities, except for, you know, maybe, you know, the obligatory vassal that shares your, I mean, free city that shares your race, but sometimes you, you don't even have access to that. You just have some space for a single city. You can dig a little bit and then you hit bedrock and then you're forced to go up. And like, just like the variance of experience that you have with the underground, like, I, I don't see how adding a mid-level would sort of like resolve that particular issue better than sort of like maybe having different map generation algorithms would. 
Now, Master of Magic approached this in a different way. And I think that the underground, like this underground system comes from Master of Magic. Okay, so Age of Wonders clearly took it from that, I think. And But the way that it worked in Master of Magic was that one of the AI players would start down there and it was it was supposed to be an endgame threat. So it had this whole plane to itself to kind of expand, become powerful. And it was a really clever way by Simtex, or it was a clever attempt to deal with endgame drag in Master of Magic, uh, you know, where it, you, you just kind of have this you got a ruffle stomp, you know, like a load of like weak AI that you've already beaten. So they in- invented this, you know, mirror plane where you have the stronger AI, it built up, and then it would finally break through. And it had this mechanic where you had these wizard towers, which was how you got between the two planes, and they were very heavily guarded. Now, I don't know how that would work in this game in order to kind of alleviate this issue. Because Jesse's just brought up a good point. I thought the underground was great, but I've only used it a couple of times, and it's been great the times that I have. I can imagine if you were stuck in just one little cavern, and you've only got one room for one city. Well, yeah, that's going to suck, right? So that obviously needs to be something done. I'm also with Daz, though. That I, I like. I don't like balancing in single-player games, and I don't really play these kind of games multiplayer particularly. So I, I feel that the best of these kind of games are ones where it allows you to pick your difficulty level based around you know picking weaker builds, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's just some food for thought, I think. But the way the Master of Magic did that is kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and honestly, like I'm not complaining about having you know additional ways to balance out the game. Like, and in fact, I think like there's some wonderful map modifications that you know clearly will create imbalances if you approached it from a multiplayer perspective. But like you know, you you can choose those if you're gonna you know fight against the Ice Queen. You know, you're gonna have this powerful you know very specific sort of threat that you know is going to change you know create a more challenging difficulty no matter you know whatever difficulty level you're set against, but it's just, it's the variance that comes with the underground that I think just doesn't quite work. I wonder if another way you could do that, because it really only becomes a problem when, um, when your population outgrows the provinces that you can then go and build into. And I wonder if there's a way that they'll actually end up having multiple level, like I guess, province improvements so that you can actually keep on improving. Like instead of building wide, you can build tall. So underground uh, starts, you could actually invest more heavily into the actual provinces themselves. That may be another way around that one. I, I see. I know what you're saying. I haven't really struck that myself much. By the time it's starting to sort of fill up the whole area that I'm, that I'm trying to fill, by that stage, I'm already sort of up on the surface anyway, so it hasn't really ever bothered me in, in any sort of big way in any of the games that I've played. But I, I can see it. You are more compressed because you don't actually have the – you can't sort of go wide where you actually are. And particularly if you end up with two cities fairly close to each other, you do tend to sort of be competing for for the actual building space. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just I think that there may still be other ways around it. I, I actually like the underground starts, but I they are weaker, like as a start. But having those little choke points is, is so, so valuable. Uh, particularly when you're sort of playing against uh, like high level opponents and things. Yeah. And, and and I may just be like, sort of like too attached to how three did it where I, 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 you know, I could play like goblins or dwarves and start in the underground and actually spend a considerable amount of time there before I would poke my head in the surface and, you know, directly bring my forces to bear against people who were there. Like it felt like the under, underground was an entirely different world and with and a, a very different sort of world than you have on the, you know, above ground. But, you know, it was, it was an entirely different environment that you could, you know, spend quite a bit of time with. Whereas I feel like the underground in Age of Wonders 4, unless, you know, you get very specific map, map configurations, inevitably force you to the surface far earlier than you'd be comfortable with and at a bigger disadvantage than you would have when you were in 3. 
Like my other big complaint, in, in you know, this is once again, this is something that may just be fundamental to 4X and, you know, I, I could be complaining about it, you know, for, you know, ineffectively is that I feel like the late game is just not super interesting. You don't mean grindy, do you? You don't mean grindy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you 100%. It is so, so grindy if you play on a big map. Well, and because I'm gonna, I'm going to jump in here too, just because I feel like this is this is true for every forex game in existence, yeah. and I think that it's a genre problem that that needs to be fixed. And I thought that Age of Wonders three did a think cool thing with uh, what was it the seals victory? I thought that was a really cool way to change things up and to make it a little bit more exciting and interesting. And I'm not trying to take away from your point, Jesse, but I just think this could be said about literally any forex yeah. game ever. And but but it's, it's like, like, you know, I, yesterday, or was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, I was finishing up a run. I was getting a magic victory. You know, you have that for 15 turns where, you're, you know, it, it builds it up. It's like, you know, you're going to have to, you know, protect your, you know, three province improvements from, you know, invaders and in order to be able to pull off the win. And, you know, I, I triggered it, you know, a couple of AIs, you know, tried to become friends with me, you know, the rest of them all declared war on me. But then some of them were, were fairly close, but... Over the course of the 15 turns, they never showed up. Like they never bothered to invade. You know, I had no, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I would have been able to beat them, but, you know, I never actually got to test the theory that, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be under pressure and I could potentially lose in, in this particular moment because uh, I'm taking this momentous decision. Maybe they're concerned about sort of like, you know, having it feel like the AI is cheating or, you know, maybe they're, you know, worried about like, you know, sort of like sense of fairness or something along those lines, but I don't care about that. You know, I'm playing these games for a challenge, and if I'm not going to have a challenge when I'm triggering like this game-ending, world-ending sort of event, then you know, then wh- why am I even playing to this point in the game? Like, what's the point? Well, I mean, I so I don't, I don't see anything that I can disagree with that at all whatsoever. I will say that the one thing, okay, first of all, I would like to have seen the envelope being pushed a little bit more here too, for sure. But I think that what I can say is that despite all that, I feel a little bit more inclination to finish games in Age of Wonders 4 because of the Pantheon system, which we have not talked about. And I wish we talked about more because I think that the general idea of a Pantheon system with the like skill tree that you unlock new, like, you know, cosmetic items, but also new world types and stuff like that. I think that could be really, really fleshed out. And I know this is kind of like almost sort of, an iteration on the empire mode for planetfall but it feels way cooler and way more exciting in this game i just think that beside the fact that the game does still feel grindy and that there is a point in which i feel like i'm forcing myself to push through and finish these games for the first time in my entire time of playing 4x games i do feel compelled to do that just simply so i can get these pantheon points and get these upgradable stuff and you know, make my way down this tree. So while I, I do agree that it's, for a lack of a better word, it's bullshit that that's the trap that 4X games fall into and that Age of Wonders 4 didn't really try anything new. Hopefully they will with some of these expansions or whatnot. But I do think the Pantheon system, for the first time in my whole life, encourages me enough to finish a game where I may not have before. I may have just quit and been like, all right, cool, I'm done. Now I push myself to play it. Is it fun? No, not so, not so much, but... It is fun to get these unlockables at the end of it. And, you know, I want, I actually want to talk more about the Pantheon system and in like an article because I think that the idea is pretty sound. I'm not sure the execution here was perfect, but I think that the idea of 
encouraging players to finish games like that is a good one. I actually disagree with you about the Pantheon system as it currently exists, encouraging players to finish because of, and, and I don't actually disagree with, you know, this overall decision on Trimus part to have it done this way, but like you, you get partial credit for games that you don't actually end up finishing. So like, you know, if, if you get, you know, 50 turns in, you know, you might get like, you know, one or two more Pantheon levels and still be able to get, you know, progress towards there. So if there was some sort of additional bonus or, you know, prize or, you know, sort of like incentive to actually get to the end, I, I could see that being the case, but there isn't because of this sort of like partial credit system, which once again, you know, I, I, I see why they did it. You know, they wanted to make it feel good, even if you end up losing, but it's still, it's just, it's not enough. And I, I you know, I, I'd rather them just sort of like take the great minds that they have at Triumph Studio that do all of these, you know, wonderful things improving the overall series and find a way to solve this late game tedium problem. I don't like the Pantheon system in the same way that I don't like Steam achievements. I, I think that a game should be complete in of itself. I don't like having to unlock crap with like, so I don't, I find it a really cheap and lazy way to make people finish games. It makes me feel like I've got to finish the game if I'm not having fun. I hate it. So I'm going to really push back on that. I think it's a bad system. They should get rid of it. The The one issue that I think we need to address with 4X games is this something I've been thinking about a lot. And I'm thinking about doing some content, you know, on a video about this or an article because I'm not entirely convinced that the issues with late game drag in 4X are quite what people think they are. I think the issue is players engagement with the games and the the lack of user interface and game mechanics that allow the player to be able to remain engaged at the end of the game Uh, this is a complicated difficult issue i don't think it's something that's easy to solve and it's going to take a brain a lot bigger than mine to be able to figure it out however it's not i don't think it's fair to say that 4x games just suck in the end game because some games do some gamers find certain games drag in the end game other people don't like i play every single shadow empire game right till the end okay i don't find that drags at all even when i'm winning there's always something to be done you know min maxer type people get are more engaged with certain games towards the end they don't tend like i've noticed that min maxers don't tend to get bored of games as easily as non min maxers so this experiment that triumph are doing with uh, with engagement on a you know with regards to this kind of really wonderful way that you can build all your factions in a sort of law kind of way i, I think this is going to be very very interesting experiment i really wish they'd, they'd just done away with the pantheon system though because they've fucked that experiment up now i wanted to see if people were going to finish the games just because it was interesting to do so not because they feel that they got to in order to unlock some cosmetic crap or you know extra like i don't i don't want to have to unlock these new like spells and things spell tomes or whatever they are like i just think that's really bad that's that's just a really lazy way of addressing a problem you are much better figuring out how to make your game tight so that it's fun towards the end and give the player the tools that they need in order to manage a big game. Like with, you know, an order of battle or something that you get in a war game. War gamers don't have this problem, by the way. They finish their games, generally speaking, because they've got the tools in the game in order to be able to manage large amounts of units, large amounts of cities easily. Forex games are lacking that in a big way. I've got to, I've got to disagree with you 100% on every single issue there, Ben. Yes, the world, the world is right again. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's um, not like I, you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the world is rebalanced, hasn't it? <laughs> I knew I was one up. I knew it was good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> you had your moment in the sun there, you know. <laughs> no, it's, I, I think the Pantheon system, where I really, really like it, 
A, it does sort of, it does interest you. It it also exposes concepts in the game that you that may be too much for you when you're starting to learn the game. And so I think that when you first come in, I, f- I found the game, it's still a difficult game to learn, but I think this is one of the, probably the easiest Age of Wonders games to actually break into if somebody's never played the series before. And I think that part of that is the Pantheon system, just unlocking bit by bit by bit as you progress through. So I quite like that, actually. So I think the Pantheon system is, is, is very, very good. I also like it because I play a lot of like a particular map type or something like that, and I really sort of flesh it all out. And then I'm suddenly thinking, you know, it doesn't quite do it for me anymore. I'm a bit bored with it. And then all of a sudden you've got these other things that you've then uncovered and you think, oh, I could add that to it. And then all of a sudden it, it just keeps the interest going. I think that the balance of the progression that they've done through the Pantheon system, I really, really like a lot because it really does actually end up building, like you're, you're building a different game every time you sort of unlock something. And uh, for me, that just keeps the excitement levels high for me in the game. I agree 100% with Jesse that the game, particularly if you're playing with more than four players, just really does grind once you sort of get to the point where you know that you can't lose and you still know that you've got so many turns to, to churn out before you can actually finish the game off because the AI doesn't give up. The AI will, it doesn't, like in the other games, like Age of Wonders 3, they would surrender much more, much more early or, you know, Planetfall and that. They would stop the game themselves. Like there's no, in Planetfall, you know, once you sort of had taken over half the planet, you were basically, it was game over. This game doesn't do that. So there's those sorts of things where I think that that sort of balance can be fixed. So I think that they will fix that grindiness anyway, but at some point, but it's just, it's at the moment, it's still actually there. But the Pantheon system, I think, is very, very good. And what was the other point there? We we're talking about uh, Pantheon and... Um, it was that we don't have the U- we don't really have the UI tools and you know the game mechanics at the end of Forex games to make it so that the player is incentivized to to want to kind of manage all these big armies of many cities you know to take on that last challenge that you need and actually creating a challenge for the end game that isn't that doesn't feel artificial you know like scaling difficulty level who the hell does that so this kind of thing like I think that the the genre needs to to really think about this problem and stop trying to fix it by just adding new stuff at the end it doesn't work like that you've got to redesign the system the game right from the start in order to make like shadow empire is great for this because shadow empire's got you doing stuff right the way through the game you know there's always something fun to be doing whether it's tinkering with your you know your profile system or whether you're like min maxing your logistics or the two different economies that you're playing with so there's always something to be doing in shadow empire i don't know i, I always i get bored with games when i know i can't lose like as soon as as soon as I get to that point in any game, no matter what it is, it's sort of like, okay, ho-hum, I don't want to play this anymore. You know, like the challenge is over. And so I'd, I'd much, much prefer to have a way of finishing the game off. And I know that with the Pantheon system, it's not just, you don't just get partial points. You get full, You do, if you resign or surrender at that point, you do get full benefit for everything you've actually achieved, which I think is good. So you can actually resign as soon as you get to that particular level but the other games do tend to finish fairly quickly i think one game that does do it well is master of magic where basically that does like that surprises people when they get to about turn 100 and they think that they're just ruffle stomping through the world and and then in master of magic all of a sudden you're finding these really really monstrously powerful stacks of ai uh, units that are (laughs) that you haven't really come across before and they're extremely difficult to fight and I think that so I think Master of Magic does an interesting job of that, but it's surprising when it does actually hit. Like it sort of comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah. 
uh, Age of Wonders, I think I think the progression through the system. I'm I'm playing on brutal with most of the games I'm playing now on on Age of Wonders four, and and I'm finding that it's it's good because you know they've got like tier three and four units when you've still got tier one and two units, so you've really got to do incredible things in the actual tactical battles, which makes it very, very engaging and very difficult. But it's still, yeah, in, in the end, you then catch up with them anyway, and then it sort of, it then becomes boring again at that particular point. So I do find it, I, I agree 100% with Jesse, I find it very, very grindy at the back end of it. This problem didn't exist in one of the very first examples of the genre, which is Master of uh, Master of Orion, the original game. You didn't have this thing with late game grind because the game was so tight that it, pretty much always ends when you know that you're about to win. And that's because it's got this unique victory condition where you have this galactic council vote. It's super clever. So, you know, everybody, you you have to have, there's a certain amount of votes based on the amount of population that you control. So there's multi, if you've not got that many friends, you can still win by just nuking planets, basically, to reduce everyone else's population so they can't win. And usually by about that point, you know you're going to win, and that's when you win because you need two-thirds of the galactic council vote. This is what I'm talking about. We need tighter games. Like having this, all these multiple victory conditions and stuff, the AI can't handle it for a start. And secondly, now players are in this kind of limbo where they, they you know, you've got this all these choices to how to build things and which way to go. But the you've, you've also got this kind of nebulous point now where you don't really, you know, where you kind of know that you've won, but the, the AI doesn't really know what to do in order to give you more challenge. You see what I mean? So as the games got more complicated, this problem's just compounded. And I think that we need a radical redesign of the genre in order to kind of address it. Yeah, I mean, I actually don't see any problem with adding some sort of victory like that to out of Age of Wonders 4. Doesn't it have a, a score victory, though? It's kind of, isn't that supposed to be what that is? It's got a score that just kind of tallies up your general progress and then ends the game. By the way, nobody likes that. <laughs> like, I don't like it in Galsiv when I'm winning and then the uh, you know I've, I've taken one planet from my neighbours and then they go, oh, oh, I guess we've lost. Here, have yeah. all my planets. <laughs> it's like, I hate that. When we were talking to Brad Wardell, he was like, oh, this is this great system where it's, you know, it, it surrenders when you're starting to win. I don't like that. I don't think it works that well. I think it's, I, I like the idea that he's trying, that he's trying to fix that particular problem. I just don't think it's particularly well implemented. Right. Well, I think we've spoken about Age of Wonders for long enough at this point. I mean, I, I, I think there's much more to talk about, you know, as I, I really am, I'm mostly interested in watching how this game progresses and seeing how, it all kind of shapes up, right? Like I really want to come back in a year or maybe even six months and see whether or not Triumph Studios has addressed any of the things that we have complained about here has in any way maybe shored up its weaknesses, should I say, and made this game a better game because like we've all kind of agreed here, it's a great game. You know, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's great and we're enjoying it. There's just some things that we think that could be improved on, and we're hoping to see that. And I think that with DLC, I mean, even just the first two, I think the the first DLC with the Dragon Lords and the first actual expansion coming later this year, we might see some pretty significant changes. And as Daz pointed out, you know, pretty poetically, there was that that Planetfall came out in a pretty rough state, and free patches are what brought it to its its glory in a lot of ways. And I'm excited to see how Triumph Studios reacts to some of the balance issues and maybe even some of these things that we brought up. Maybe they do address it in free patches. So with that being said, I want to thank you, Daz, for being here. Thanks for joining us from down under, Mike. 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. It's always fun. I always enjoy these sessions. It's um, very passionate about the games, and uh, so it's 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 great to sort of be challenged as well. Actually, so it's 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 good. To, it sort of makes you think. It makes you sort of really consider. You know, with what the impact is uh, on much broader levels. So thanks for the invitation. Always enjoy these. Honestly, Daz, you have an open invitation as long as you just disagree with Ben as often as you can. Ah, fuck you. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just a natural uh, natural thing. <laughs> it's, you guys, it's a, great, it's a great dynamic. You know, it's respectful, yet sometimes it can get pretty, pretty tense. I love it. So thanks for being here. And De Jesse, thanks for joining us, adding your plethora of knowledge here. I appreciate it, sir. Always great to be on. And Ben, thank you for taking some of the, the flack from Daz as gracefully as you did. Well, you know, me and Daz know each other, but uh, actually, I've got to give some credit to Drexy because Drexy said, I need you to go on this podcast and just don't let those guys circle jerk over this game. It's not that good. So, you know, I want, you know, make sure that you criticize it properly. <laughs> but I think we all, we did a really good job. All of us has some really good criticism for the game. And I want to make the point that it is a good game. I'm enjoying it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, you know, I've got my, I think it's got problems, but I think it's a, you know, it's definitely one of the best games I've played in a long time, without a doubt. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, I won't end this by saying that, like, there are some issues, right? And I think we all can objectively see problems with this game. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. So I guess that's all that really matters. And I think that's all that we really care about is that we're having fun. And, you know, even if that's 100 hours, 200 hours, 300 hours, wherever it ends up being that, that fun ends, it's still a really fun game and it's been a lot of fun to talk about. And I think just as importantly, it'll be really fun to watch it progress and mature and see how it grows. So we'll be back, of course, to talk more about Age of Wonders 4 in the future. And in the future, we'll also have a Galactic Civilizations 4 Supernova breakdown. So stay tuned for that. But until then, this was Rob, Daz Tactic, Jesse and Ben for Explominates. Until next time, keep exploring. Wow.